and I, I had an opportunity to, to see your, your LinkedIn profile um, and see all those experiences. But I really just want for you to tell us uh, what it is like to, you know, to, to be a civilian paralegal. Because I don't think any of us, like I said, uh, none of us that currently serve as paralegals right now necessarily came in with the idea to just be to become air force paralegals right it must have been something that just came up we're like oh yeah paralegal that looks cool i'll do it um but i don't think anyone came in with the hopes or the ambition off the bat to say okay i'm gonna be a paralegal like even me i um I joined as a graphics designer first. So I was a graphics designer for about four years, and then I cross-trained into paralegal. Um, so I didn't even know that paralegal was a thing that you could do in the military. Like that was something that I uh, no idea. So it wasn't after I had been in for a while that I knew that was an option, and then I cross-trained from graphics design to paralegal. So. Uh, no idea how it operates at all in the civilian world in the civilian capacity um, so <laughs> um so my background um is very similar i didn't choose to become a paralegal actually my undergrad is in pre-med um out of high school I started a college, um, started to community college and I finished up at a four year university. But um, my whole drive was to become an osteopathic physician. Um, and so I did all the crazy, you know, insane studying and, and all the hard science classes to become uh, to set for the MCAT to take the entrance exam into medical school. And um sat for the mcat uh my score i didn't like it it wasn't competitive enough to go to the school that i had my heart set on and i didn't want to take the mcat again i'm just like forget this nope not doing it and my mom my late mother um she was a legal secretary when i was growing up she um became a paralegal in the 80s and uh decided um that she was like I can be a lawyer just as good as any of these other lawyers. And so she went back to law school at the age of 55 and so um, became a lawyer. And so she was working and I was bemoaning the fact of, I, you know, young kid, I don't what do I want to do. You know, I wasn't going to continue on with the medical field and um, I needed a job. And she's like, there's a law firm. Um, I'm originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma, by the way. And so there was a law firm that um, needed a runner, a gopher, that all you were going to be doing was delivering stuff between firms and taking stuff to the courthouse to filing. I had no other legal experience other than hearing the war stories from my mom when she'd come home from work. And so I, uh, started doing that and the firm I worked at was a mid-sized firm. So there was about 20 different lawyers and two, yeah, two different paralegals that worked there. And um, one of the paralegals was getting ready for a trial and she's like, I need help. Would you help me? I, I, I've got about a hundred different depositions that need to be reviewed. Can you help me do this? And so she, you know, 
I really attribute her to setting me on the path because I started doing work, you know, kind of a junior paralegal type tasks at the firm. And I was like, oh my God, I really enjoy this. And so I went back to school to get my certificate, my paralegal diploma, uh, and did the, the school work to actually then become a full-time paralegal. And the, the rest, they say, is history, you know. Um, it's been now 25 years that I've been working as a uh, paralegal in private practice. Now, the past four years, though, I've been working in-house uh, for the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, uh, working with a corporate general counsel. Um, so I've kind of made a transition to in-house practice versus private practice, but still working under a, an attorney. Well, really excited to, uh, to have you on, on the podcast today to kind of give us your, your, your insight as to what it's like to be a paralegal, like in the real world, right? Because <laughs> we haven't gotten that. And you've been a paralegal for 25 years, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. So uh, that's a 25 years of experience. And um, so we can just go ahead and tell us, you know, who you are, what you currently do, and then, uh, uh, yeah, and then we can, we can start and begin from there. So, uh, again, my name is Carl Morrison. I'm an advanced certified paralegal. Um, I um, have been working uh, in the current past four years. I've been working in-house uh, corporate uh, as a corporate paralegal. Um, prior to that, I worked in private practice. So I worked at large national law firms, originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I live now in Las Vegas. Uh, Nevada. And um, I carry all four national certifications. There's four certification exams that are out there. Uh, NALA, uh, it's the National Association for Legal Assistance, offers the CP, the Certified Paralegal Exam. Uh, And then you can get what's called an advanced, um, be an ACP, Advanced Certified Paralegal, in a particular area of law. Then there is the registered paralegal, the RP, and that's through the National Federation of Paralegal Associations. Um, And then there is through NALS, NALS, the Association for for Legal Professionals. There's is the professional paralegal, the PP um, exam. And then the American Alliance of Paralegals, Inc. They have the American Alliance Certified Paralegals. So when you see my name and all my letters behind my name, it's, I call it my alphabet soup because uh, it's, all my, it's all my P's. Um, it's all my certified uh, paralegal exams that I have taken over the years. And the reason I did it specifically was um, I also teach um, in paralegal programs. Right now I'm on what I'm calling a sabbatical um, had a, uh, other things going on in the way of uh, professional responsibilities. And so I took a little bit of a sabbatical, but I teach and I teach paralegal students. And the reason I took all four exams was because I would have paralegal students ask me, well, what's the difference and which exam should I take? And um, I needed to really better understand the process and the way of um, taking an exam, one of the exams and being able to speak competently, basically. And so that's the main reason you don't have to have all four certifications to, uh, to, to practice. In fact, you don't have to be certified, uh, in civilian practice to be a paralegal. 
Uh, it's voluntary, strictly voluntary to have certifications. I see. Well, that's very interesting as far as um, the different certifications, because again, I, it seems like in the Air Force, we're doing a lot more to educate our paralegals as to the, you know, the certifications and training opportunities that are out there in order to make us more marketable once we're done with, with the military. Um, but it doesn't seem like before there was that much of an emphasis on that, on the education or what's out there. Um, we just had to, you know, once we were done with the military, then we had to do the research to see what were some of the things that would, um, that would make us marketable. So quick question, have you ever worked with someone who, who served in the military as far in the paralegal capacity? Actually, no, I have not. Um, surprisingly, um, my exposure and um, little social circle, which it's kind of a large social circle because I know a lot of paralegals across the country, but surprisingly, just recently, did I meet another paralegal um, that serves in the military? And, and this particular paralegal, she's in um, the... I think it's the uh, army. I think she's in the national guard. If I remember right. And I met her at NIFPA's uh, NFPA's uh, paralegal conference uh, back in October and the virtual conference. And so that was my, to be honest, that was my really first time to actually talk to another paralegal that has served or serving in, you know, uh, as a guard, you know, national guardsman um, as a paralegal. So um, it, no, I don't have much, uh, exposure experience and not that I don't think that they're out there. I'm sure they're out there, um, that transition from the military into private practice. I just haven't had that, that much in the way of working with. So, um, it's, to me, it's fascinating and, and having you on the show on the, the paralegal voice is great exposure for, uh, those of us that work in civilian, because I don't think there's that many, the paralegals that I talked to um, and, and told that you were going to be on the show, um, they were excited to hear that there was going to be a military paralegal on because they, they themselves have not had exposure or experience working with or, or knowing the differences. So um, yeah. That's really interesting. And uh, from my experience, what I've seen when, paralegals are done with military service is that somehow they go back into working as a civilian employee for the Air Force or for the Army, for the Navy. Uh, so they essentially go back to doing what, the, doing what they were doing, but only now in a civilian capacity. Um, so maybe that's, I'm not sure if they tend to want to, uh, you know, feel more comfortable in that realm than trying to you know, explore more about what the civilian world has to offer. As a, and, and this is something else about me as a paralegal manager. So I manage other paralegals and have managed other paralegals for several years. And um, as a manager, as a supervisor, I would want um, a, I would, if I had a stack of applicants and stack, stack of resumes, if I had a, a resume from a paralegal that served in the military, such as yourself, Albert, you know, that would be 
um, amazing because I, I would know that having served in the military, there's a lot of what I call the soft skills that you guys are trained in communication. You know, that's vitally important in working as a paralegal that you have to have, you know, leadership, um, we're project managers. Let's just be honest as paralegals, whether you're in the military or in private practice and civilian, we're project managers. I, that's what I tell students all the time. And because we're, <laughs> we're managing a case, we're managing it from whether it be from inception to trial or post-trial or for particular aspects of a, of a case, a period of the case, discovery, you're managing the case. And so project management skills are vitally important. Business acumen. Now I know that that's probably you're thinking, well, what is that going to do with, but you having, you know, worked in uh, the military, you guys have a better understanding of what it takes to work in an office uh, and work in a team environment uh, than some students. They don't have that skill set. And so um, I would see if I saw a resume with a, you know, someone that served in the military, I'd be going, yeah, I want to interview this person um, because I know you guys have already got a lot of the core skills um, that we would look for, an employer would look for in whether it be in practice or working in house um, that would be vitally important. So um, for the listeners that you guys have on your podcast, understand that absolutely that they're don't think that you can't do it. Cause yeah, there's, there's a place <laughs> for you right. in the private practice. That's good. Yeah, no, that's definitely good to know. And I know that can uh, increase the confidence of a lot of individuals who, you know, maybe getting out or going back into civilian practice and knowing that their experiences in the military and what they, the training that they go through is, is appreciated and valued and something that is taken into account whenever they go out there uh, and explore the private practice. Uh, so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about the tasks and responsibilities that most paralegals in the civilian world um, are responsible for accomplishing. So um, we kind of know like our boundaries between what is, you know, what attorney, an attorney is responsible for and then what paralegals are responsible for. But what are those um, tasks and responsibilities that perhaps are the most valuable um, in civilian practice? And you can talk about specifically your own experiences. So um, again, it, 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 it'll vary depending on the area of law that you would work in, whether it be criminal, whether it be, you know, insurance defense, whether it be estate planning. Um, some of those tasks are going to be very specific, of course. Um, that's just a given. But in general, it's a lot of the same things. So everything from, you know, client interviewing, you know, dealing with witnesses, um, analysis, legal research, um, trying to think what else in the way of what I do. So let me, let me backtrack. So I'll talk about from private practice first before I segue into in-house, because there is a difference between working for a corporation legal department versus working in private practice at a law firm. And so when I worked in private practice, I did a lot of 
um, insurance defense and our clients were major corporations, companies. So they, it could be the manufacturer of an orthopedic bone screw, or it could be the manufacturer of an automobile. Um, so I, I had a lot of, of very, but a lot of major cases. So wrongful death lawsuits, things of that nature. And a lot of what I did besides, you know, the intake process, a new case would come in. I'm analyzing the facts, the issues, looking at, you know, uh, from the defense standpoint, what are our defenses in the matter, working closely with my supervising attorney or t- attorneys, because sometimes there'd be two or three attorneys that I'm working for, and, you know, um, assisting in researching. Um, I did a lot of vaccine litigation at one point, so I had to learn a lot about um, childhood vaccines that are given and adverse reactions and what can happen. So that's when my medical background and education came into play big time because I, I understood and knew how to research medical literature. I knew how to what you know look for, how to read it, things of that nature. Um, so a lot of analysis, um, a lot of that critical thinking, but also interviewing witnesses, the client themselves, you know, employees at the corporation. Uh, gathering a bunch of, you know, documents and evidence to help, you know, uh, back up the defenses that we're laying out in our particular matter. I worked very, very closely with our attorneys and um, I was treated and still am treated to this day as sort of a um, associate attorney. I'm a baby attorney, even though I can't practice law, um, but they still give me a lot of, you know, very substantive work um, just because of my experience in, in years, but working in private practice, there were many times when we go to trial, I was sitting right next to senior counsel at counsel table. And I'm, you know, doing everything from, you know, uh, observing the jury box and how jurors reaction or their reactions and how they're reacting to witnesses to um, helping facilitate the witnesses that we need to put on. Uh, I may be helping do uh, prep work at night in the way of prepping a witness, going over their, you know, line of questioning that they're going to be anticipated to be asked of, um, things of that nature. So I did a lot of what I call the heavy lifting in uh, private practice of working closely with. And that's, not all paralegals do that. It's dependent on the area of law that you work in, depends on um, how well you work with your attorneys. Um, I will tell you in private practice, some attorneys um, think that, you know, and I'm overgeneralizing, so don't think this is everywhere, but there are some attorneys out there that think that paralegals are just, you know, glorified um, administrative support professionals and they're just there to bait stamp some documents and, you know, do a little bit of research and that's it. Paralegals are training our experience. And I guarantee you from talking with you, Albert, in, in the military, you, you guys, your training, your experience, your education affords you the ability to do very more substantive work in the way of doing those tasks and performing those, those functions that otherwise an attorney is going to be doing anyway. So uh, private practice, I did a lot of that in in-house. I've been now working in-house in corporate legal department for four years. And it's different in that I'm not, you know, 
driven by court deadlines. I'm not driven by um, the case itself because with my particular company, I, I do a, a variety of things. So I can do everything from intellectual property because I work for a major casino. And so we have intellectual property, our brand, our trademark, you know, that we have to make sure others aren't, you know, uh, infringing on. Uh, to premises liability, slip and fall type of cases. Um, someone gets injured on property. Um, engaging outside counsel, um, dealing with them. Uh, a bankruptcy to, um, not our bankruptcy, but, you know, a, a individual that's claiming bankruptcy. Uh, a variety of different areas that I didn't normally do. Uh, employment law is another one. I help draft uh, employment agreements and separation agreements. And so employment law was something I'd never worked in. And um, my general counsel took me under his wing and, and taught me and helped me understand. I had the very basic core basics of in employment law uh, and contract drafting, but under his tutelage and training, I learned a lot and absolutely love employment law. So now I do a variety of things working in-house and it's just because I work for a very uh, large company that has a variety of different legal issues uh, at hand. And so there are the differences of just the nuances of working in-house versus private practice, but a lot of the same, when you get down to the core areas, communication, you know, analytical ability, um, you know, all those soft skills, they translate across the board, um, no matter where I'm working in the legal industry. It's just those little nuances of learning uh, in the respective areas. Nice. <clears throat> um, there's one thing that you mentioned, and, and it's definitely eye-opening when you mention about you know, all the different tasks and responsibilities, especially when you're talking about in-house versus private practice. You did mention one thing that I think it's vital that not all paralegals um, value or practice, and especially from my experience in the military, and not to throw paralegals under the bus, but it's something that we need to get out, out of our shell, and that is analytical ability. Um, can you expand a little bit on what you meant or what you you know, what you meant to say on analytical ability. So analytical ability is just the ability to look at a, a problem and figure out the solution or try to figure out one solution or more than one solution. Um, some people have that knack. Um, for me, it's just second nature. I've always over, and I have a tendency to overanalyze things, uh, but it plays to my advantage and disadvantage at times. Uh, but some people it's not, it doesn't come natural to them to look at something and, and pull it apart. And so it, sometimes it's a learning curve for individuals and especially like with paralegal students, teaching paralegal students to look at something and think creatively. Cause to me, a big component of having the analytical ability is to be a creative thinker, meaning you're just going to come up with and just spitball a solution to a problem. And so 
um, looking at something, whether it's an issue or even a puzzle, you know, a crossword puzzle or um, Rubik's cube, you know, something where you have to really stop and think, okay, how do I do this? How do I, you know, how do I get to the solution? One step at a time, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And so the analytical ability is the ability to just really stop and analyze the issue. What's the issue? What's the main question? When you strip away all the, the, the nonsense and, and uh, the irrelevant facts of a case, what's the main question? If you want to distill it down into one question, what's that question? All right, you got your question. All right, now, how do I answer that question? I have these pieces of evidence, documents, witness statements, so on and so forth. So I have all this. How does that now apply to this question I've now formed? So now I've got to look at this evidence and does this answer the question or does it ask additional questions? So all of this is about that analytical ability, the ability to really analyze an issue or a problem. And what's my solution? How do I come up with a solution? Do I need more? Is it going to take more than me to come up with that solution? Do I need to engage my supervising attorney? Do I need to engage another paralegal in the office? So on and so forth. Um, I'm sure that's very similar to in the military, right? Uh, when you're talking about analytical ability. Right. No, absolutely. And we have, uh, you know, one thing that I think may stifle young paralegals from that analytical thinking is that we have a lot of checklists that we have to follow, right? So we have checklists for every single process that we have. There's a checklist and we tend to, you know, like close our minds to anything else that might exist outside of that checklist process. So it's like, Oh, checklist. So I'm just going through the emotions type thing. And it's difficult sometimes to, and I, it maybe it comes with experience, but it's something that we just need to challenge ourselves is to, you know, operate within the checklist, but to still, you know, analyze, look at the entire progress uh, problem and how can we you know how can we solve it how can we get more out of this case how can we you know help the attorneys in uh in enhancing our abilities to 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 fighting the case whether it's military justice civil law or whatever the case may be but um i think that's one thing that might uh, you know just kind of have a drone mentality um, when we're following the checklist to that level and that's, I will tell you that even in private, in civilian practice, that's a problem too, because now we don't, not all of us, depending on the area of law, are there checklists. So a great example is bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is very forms driven. And so you could think of it in a very much checklist mindset. And to me, even though I've never practiced in, in bankruptcy, my mom did bankruptcy. And so you run the risk of falling into, well, I have this mindset of, okay, I just need to, to check the boxes. I just need to fill in the blanks and that's it. And that's not true. You're exactly right. It's more than that. And so 
with a checklist, it's great. And I tell students this, that, you know, checklists are great because they keep you honest and they keep you on target. However, don't let it handcuff you to that's it. I'm just completing the list and that's it. Think constructively, think creatively as you're going through the checklist, because your checklist may need to be, you know, uh, enlarged. It, you, you have a, a certain step in your process that you're putting the check to, but really that, that particular step, there's five subparts to it that you really need to dive deeper into. And so as such, I need to really think about not just checking that box and moving to the next step. Is there a subcomponent to that particular step in the process that I need to, you know, look at and investigate? Um, because maybe that will lead me down a different path and either help or bring something to the attention of the supervising attorney that, oh, hey, wait a minute, you know what? I was doing this and it led me down and I was curious about something else and I started looking at this other thing and I realized, wait, we're jacked on this particular issue because X, Y, Z. And um, like I said, checklists are great, but uh, at times they can you know, get us hamstrung in not letting us think creatively. So you have to have that. And I tell this about paralegal students. To be a successful paralegal, you really have to have that inquisitive nature. You have to ask the what if or the who or why because and don't just you get, you ask the question why and you get your answer. We'll go, well, okay, but why that, you know, and, and question everything pretty much um, because you, that will keep you going and not getting lost in the forest. Attorneys, I love attorneys. And if there's any attorneys that are listening to this, it by no means am I dissing you at all. Um, but attorneys have a tendency to focus in on a tree and they get lost in the forest. Uh, I had a, an attorney and I loved him to death and he and I worked uh, amazing together, but he would get hung up on that tree in the forest. And I go, Nathan, stop, step back and look at it from the 30,000 foot view, step out of the forest and get away because you're missing X, Y, Z. Oh yeah. I didn't think about, that you're right so i think as paralegals that's a big part of our job is to help our attorneys not lose that creativeness that analytical ability to get hung up on a particular issue and that's all that they can focus in on yeah this is this voice meter thing it's not too reliable if it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> going to do this every um every time um so no i'm Really glad that we were able to get into the topic of, um, you know, that analytical aspect of it, of problem solving as paralegals, thinking outside the box, right? Because um, we're not just, you know, individuals who are just going to follow the checklist and just do mindless work. That's, you know, that that's not what we do. We definitely can bring a lot, so much more value to uh, to the legal office uh, that sometimes we may not be giving ourselves enough credit about what we bring to the table. 
Absolutely. Um, so when you get hired as a paralegal or in your experience, have your tasks and responsibilities been laid out or defined completely? Or there are some tasks and responsibilities that just kind of surface, like how does that, how does that work? So over my years of experience and teaching paralegal students, typically when you first start in practice, it, your tasks are pretty much laid out for you. Now, again, it's all dependent on where you go to work. Um, some firms, some companies are going to be very, you are only going, excuse me, to do these 10 things. I'm just making that up, but that this is your, your role. And these are your defined uh, tasks that you're going to do. Okay. Understood. But by and large, um, attorneys love paralegals that are going to assert themselves and not be overly assertive, but I, by that, I mean, that are actually going to say, Hey, I see that you need help with X, Y, Z. So do you want me to help draft, uh, you know, the, the facts portion of that motion um, that we've got to file? Oh yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Will you, will you take the first draft at, at doing that? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I first started, I didn't, um, do like actually drafting the responses to interrogatories and requests for production of documents. That was the associate was doing that. And I was just gathering the stuff and I stepped outside my box and was like, Hey, can I, do you mind if I take the first draft? I've been doing this long enough. I, I understand, you know, how to, you know, uh, do the, the objection and, and, you know, uh, crafting the response. Can I do it? Sure. Why not? And from then it was like, that's all I ever did was, you know, they were like, Carl, take the first pass at, at doing the drafting. Um, that's a big part of a paralegal and paralegals worth their weight in salt. If they step outside and, and, you know, offer to go above and beyond because attorneys by and large, appreciate that because that shows that you're being a active participant of the team that you're not just a robot robot and i'm going to do my you know robotic only these tasks and that's it you're actually saying hey i can do these other things do you want me to to do these things absolutely yeah and so i think that's a, a big part is just um stepping outside and, and, you know, offering to go above and beyond. Uh, because otherwise, you, to me, as a paralegal, you pigeonhole yourself. You put yourself in a box, and attorneys are only going to let you do that thing, those things because that's all you've allowed yourself to do. And so, um, and I always tell students this too, if you work for an attorney and they don't want you to grow as a professional and, and you offer to do things, then it's time to look elsewhere and find an employer that is going to challenge you and encourage you to grow because who's really being helped the client really. And so um, I think it's important 
that paralegals understand that don't, don't allow yourself just to set back. And um, it may be different in uh, military. Um, are you allowed to do that? Can you assert yourself and say, hey, can I do X, Y, Z? Absolutely. And it's, it's actually encouraged. And that shows your interest because the work that we do drafting legal documents, it's, you know, it's, it's, it has high visibility and it's important that it's done correctly, that it's done, that it's done well, that it's done according to law. Um, so it's better. And I, I believe that an attorney, it's a lot more comfortable providing that type of work to an individual who wants it rather than, you know, having to ask, Hey, can you, can you take care of this? And now you have to trust that, you know, maybe they wanted it, maybe they didn't. Now they're going to do it, you know, just to kind of get it, get it done and over with without actually putting the, you know, like adding the passion and the, and the attention to detail that it requires to get it done correctly. So when someone is asking for it, that already, it's already telling you, like we have one thing called proof analysis. Um, so the proof analysis, as soon as we get a case, we kind of do the whole document where we look at it from, from both sides, the government side, the defense side, what are the potential issues that we w- might run into? What are some of the military rules of evidence that we might encounter? But those things, a paralegal can draft them, but it's a lot better if an individual has, or a paralegal has interest in doing that on their own, because then the attorney can trust, okay, this person actually wants to do, and they're going to do everything possible to do it right. Whereas if it's just an attorney asking, they might as well just, ah, oh, just do it because this person doesn't really, doesn't have the passion for it or doesn't want to do it. So, And, and that's the same in um, civilian at working as a paralegal that, you know, if you don't do that, and, you know, and have to be told and have to be asked to do something, then attorneys aren't going to give you what I call the um, fun assignments, the challenging assignments, because they're going to go, well, they don't seem that interested. They're just here to get a paycheck and that's it. They're not really wanting to, you know, step outside of, of their comfort zone. Um, and some people, you know this, that some individuals are just, they're not assertive individuals. And so they don't feel confident enough to do that. Um, and sometimes you have to pull people out of their shells to do um, more. But uh, by and large, yeah, it, it, attorneys want to see that. Uh, it sounds like it's the same in, in the military, that the attorneys that you guys work for, it's the same. They, you want to um, go above and beyond because that's how you grow as an, an, an individual. No, absolutely. Um, so I just have a couple more questions. Okay. Um, and one topic that we talked about uh, in the Paralegal Voice podcast was CLE. So I really want to get your perspective because it seems this is something that you're very passionate about. I want to know one, why are you so passionate about CLE? <laughs> and, uh, and also, you know, what's, you know, what, what do you think, how can we benefit in our, in the Air Force or in the military um, from CLE? What are some things that you recommend that we, you know, that, that we also explore um, from our, on our end? So um, I'm a nerd, I'm a law geek. And so um, 
I enjoy learning. I just enjoy to learn. That's just me as a individual period. So um, like I talked about on the show, being certified, you have to have so many hours of CLE every year to maintain your certification. Otherwise you lose your certification. And so it's required for those that are certified. Those that are not certified, CLE is not required. And I think that's a disservice to our industry because I think it should be required of a paralegal to work because it keeps you on top of what's going on. The law is not static. It doesn't stay the same all the time. It's evolving and it continues to evolve. We're 250 years old of a country and our laws continue to change. And um, as such, you need to stay on top of what is going on in our industry. When you don't, because our industry changes so quickly, especially it seems like in the past 15 years, our industry has just really like sped up. And when you don't, you're left behind because employers look for individuals that are staying on top of the legal trends. So, you know, major legal trend, of course, is electronic discovery, e-discovery. In civilian practice, that's a huge thing. And so having those particular skills when it relates to e-discovery is vitally important to even be a, you know, practicing paralegal period in, in the civilian world. Uh, but everything from procedures, depending on the state that you live in, you know, the rules of civil procedure change, uh, it seems like every couple of years, um, I'm attending a CLE session for some whole revamp of the, the rules, or there are several new rules that have come out, new statutes that have come out. And that's important just to stay on top of the industry as a whole. I attend a lot of different CLEs that just interest me, period that I don't necessarily do, you know, in my normal day in day out job, but I'll attend because it interests me. Um, and so staying on top of CLE and just, you know, um, stepping outside again, it goes back to us a minute ago, stepping outside of your comfort zone and learning and staying on top of it just adds. So if anyone is getting ready to, you know, get out of the military, wants to practice a paralegal, I would highly recommend that you start, you know, looking at CLE that's out there that would even interest you, that you can then use as what I call resume fodder, uh, additional resume building that shows that you've gone above and beyond and stepped outside of the comfort zone, have learned a new area of law, uh, a new particular e-discovery platform out there, whatever the case may be. Um, it just shows that you're, you're doing more than what's required of you just to work as a paralegal. And so I'm a nerd when it comes to that. I just think it's important. Otherwise you're just, you're practicing the same way that you did. Say you've been doing it for 10 years. If you've never attended any CLE at all, for 10 years, you're still practicing the same way you did it 10 years ago when, oh, there's a whole new software out there that can help me with uh, medical record analysis, or there's a new rule about this particular um, civil procedure that, oops, I didn't know about, and my attorney expected me to know about, and um, 
because a lot of times the attorneys aren't attending those sessions. We're attending them and we should be attending them. So I think it's just important uh, as a paralegal. So there's a ton of webinars out there. So this year, because of the pandemic, everything is ex- everything's virtual. Nothing is in person anymore. And so a lot of providers were giving stuff free. Um, so my recommendation is start with a, an association, a paralegal association. So NALA, uh, National Association of Legal Assistants, they offer webinars monthly. Um, NIFPA also offers monthly um, CLE webinars. Um, there are respective providers out there that uh, offer uh, NBI, National Business Institute. They offer paralegal as well as lawyer uh, webinars out there. And of course, all these are paid. You'll, you'll have to pay. But Google free CLE webinars, they're out there because a lot of different vendors, you know, e-discovery vendors to uh, attorneys, um, a lot of law firms. You can even just watch webinars on uh, a particular law firm's website um, because it's it for them. It's a marketing aspect, but they may be talking about, uh, I don't know, COVID and employment law issues, COVID-19 and employment law issues. So um, there's a ton out there. My advice to you guys when you're searching just make sure it's a reputable and by reputable i mean there it's not a fly-by-night website it's more of something that's been around so like nala or nifpa or nals or the aba the american bar association you know someone like that that is giving this because you want of course quality education you don't want to attend a webinar that a they're teaching the wrong thing and b um it's not relevant to what's going on you know currently um so i i it's hard for me to say one's better than the other because there's just a ton out there it's just kind of weeding through and getting to the good stuff uh and not attending those crappy (laughs) webinars that are out there well thank you so much and i really appreciated you coming on uh my show and i really appreciated your invitation to come speak to uh you guys because um i i like i said on my show that um i come from a military family and multiple generations of serving uh and my older brother uh, served in the Air Force and his son, my nephew, served in the Air National Guard. And so um, special place in my heart for uh, the airmen. So thank you very much for uh, having me on the show. Really appreciate it. So uh, no, I'm by myself here in Las Vegas. I have a friend, another paralegal friend, and she, uh, her and her husband invited me over there. My family's back in Tulsa, so I'm not traveling just because of the pandemic, um, trying to do my duty and not uh, travel around. So I'm going to play it low key this year. So next year, it'll be a humdinger.